Hello, media consumers. It's the Press Box. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here with a quick reaction to Tuesday night's Democratic debate, a.k.a. the last time America has to pay attention to Wolf Blitzer until the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> David, we have to start with what happened in the post-game portion of the evening. And this is where every respectable journalist says, I don't want to be a body language expert, but, and then they play the body language expert. Narrate along with me here. After the debate, Elizabeth Warren is shaking everybody's hand like NFL coaches do after a playoff game. She walks up to Bernie Sanders, with whom she's had a tense 24 to 48 hours. Bernie extends his hand. Warren doesn't shake it. She kind of clasps her hands in front of her body. She says something to Bernie. We can see Bernie on TV saying, What? And then there's a lot of defensive hand motion like a cornerback and a wide receiver trying to get position downfield. And then they part. What was going through your mind when you saw that? I mean, I mean, I don't think there was any there. We'll get into the sort of the provenance of the story and the, the, you know, the what we believe to be true and all that kind of stuff. I don't think there was any question about whether or not the disagreement between them was real, but you know, to take this in the pro wrestling direction that I am always want to do, it did seem mm. to sort of dispel dispel any question about the sort of kayfabe of the uh, of the disagreement, right? That this this was not a this this was not a this is not a disagreement for show, or at least if it was, it, you know, the show didn't end when the mics went went dead. It's hard to imagine exactly what was said, although I guess you 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 could postulate that that Warren was expecting Bernie to take ownership of the statement. In, in the process of deflecting it, I can't imagine she would expect him to not deflect, right? Um, if, you know, at, at a minimum, I guess she would, she might expect him to say, yeah, I said that, you know, but it's a, it wasn't about her or anyone else. It was about whether the electorate, whether, you know, against Trump, Trump would, would, the electorate would respond to a woman. I, I don't have no idea what the, you know, what he should have said. I think, I thought he handled it really well. And I thought in the context of the debate, she handled it really, she handled the subject really well too. Um, but it's just so bizarre to to the entire thing to, to to imagine that after all of this, you know, strum and drang over the past several days, that the first time that they actually got to address the address this on a human level was there on camera after the debate. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe there's more nope, kayfabe to it than I was giving it credit for five minutes ago. I don't know. Yeah, no one could pick up the phone. I yeah. I completely agree, and that it did prove that it went beyond kayfabe and. I think it kind of has to, because if you're Warren and you believe Bernie said that, and clearly she does, mm -hmm. how can you not be hurt by that? And how can you not be taken aback by that? So it, it doesn't feel like one of those things where, oh, you, you know, got mad about Medicare for all or, or got mad about, you know, my trade policy and we pretended to argue about it for a day and then we forgot it. It does feel like it gets into the personal. Let, let's get a little bit of the backstory here in case people haven't been following this. The Warren and Sanders campaigns have been outwardly almost, you know, demonstrably positive toward each other throughout this campaign, but it's less than 20 days to the Iowa caucuses. So no more Mr. And Mrs. Nice Senator MJ Lee of CNN broke the story that in December, 2018 Sanders and Warren met at Warren's apartment in Washington, DC, by the way, that right there, before you know anything else, this is going right into whatever the game change of 2020 is. 
you know, on uh-huh. a crisp December evening in Washington, <laughs> Bernie Sanders knocked on the door of an apartment in Calorama. I don't know. Is it Ryan Liz and Olivia Nuzzi that are doing it? Whoever. I just, when people saw that, that just went right into the book. That That's like the start of a chapter early in the book. At this meeting, Lee writes, Warren laid out two main reasons she believed she would be a strong candidate for president. She could make a robust argument about the economy and earn broad support from female voters. Sanders responded that he did not believe a woman could win. When I saw this the first time, and this is not an original opinion, my immediate thought was, I think there's room where they both could be right and they both could be sort of expressing what they see as the truth of this encounter. On the one hand, every single Democrat has talked about this question. Elizabeth Warren herself has talked about this. She wrote a medium piece in March, last March, called Let's Talk About the Woman Question. After what happened to Hillary Clinton at the hands of the Trump campaign, the misogyny, all that stuff. They've talked about this question. So you can totally see Bernie Sanders having this kind of out loud question about what would happen if a woman gets nominated by the Democratic Party. On the other hand, if you are that woman, Elizabeth Warren, you can see how just somebody having that conversation in this private meeting when you're about to run for president can feel like you're not going to win. A woman can't win. I can win, but you can't win. And I can see being a little bit insulted by that. Sure. Absolutely true. I mean, and and, uh, I mean, I think that the problem with that sort of formulation is that it sort of takes for granted all of, you know, everything terrible we can think about ourselves as Americans, you know, in, in the Trump era. Right. I mean, and maybe we should. But I think that once you start. I mean, yes, you can imagine Bernie saying it out loud and you can imagine anyone saying it out loud and it sort of being it, you know, food for thought, I guess. But like once you start down that path, then can't you find reasons why a Trump addled electorate would be incapable of voting Bernie Sanders in the office or, you know, any every candidate has some has has some aspect that you would think would be disqualified or or you could argue would be disqualified by Donald Trump's, uh, you know, just kind of the I mean like I said the way that he sort of like affects the electorate the way that he skews anything that we thought we knew before in terms of how people go out and vote but yeah I mean to 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 address what you know your question yeah I can see I mean obviously one one could imagine why that would be said and one could certainly imagine why Elizabeth Warren would be offended by it we have to kind of I guess at some point get into the discussion of how this story came to light because the way it was presented and correct me if I'm wrong is that this was not a uh, this, this is not something that Elizabeth Warren just sort of came, you know came out and said to a reporter. This was something that she had been saying in private conversations, or maybe I mean in, in pseudo private conversations, in fundraising gatherings, or you know such those sorts of things. She um, had told people about it, yes. But she had told people about it, and then and that those stories sort of like trickled up into publication. Now maybe her campaign planted this story and sort of found a way to get it in print without her having to go on the record, but. One can certainly, I mean, I guess it's much more reasonable to understand or to envision her saying something like this in private conversations to say, hey, look, even Bernie didn't think a woman can get elected. You know, I mean, like, and, you know, he said that directly to me. 
and have that and 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 have that separate from her actual campaign platform. You know, I mean that 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 makes. I think it's easy for someone to wrap their mind around that, and then but then we get to the question, like I said, of whether or not they planted the story. When when a story like this comes out, all the people who think they're smart about the media on Twitter go oppo dump right there. Yeah. Oppo dump. It's a plant. They're trying to get Bernie. And I'd say, you know, at least three quarters of the time, they're completely wrong. And they sort of think they understand the media and they really don't. I got to say in this case, there's a decent chance that it is that. I mean, the timing is such like right now, right before the last debate before Iowa, three weeks before the caucuses themselves, this is when we find that out. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's an illegitimate story because by the way, it's a, it's a certainly a legitimate story. If Elizabeth Warren, if Bernie said that or Elizabeth and or Elizabeth Warren believes he said that in a private meeting, that is absolutely a story. So I'm not, I'm not casting doubt on it, but the timing of it feels amazing. For the record, the New York Times was able to match it pretty quickly after CNN mm-hmm. reported it. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it look and look, Elizabeth Warren, we know, had been trying to kind of find her path to victory in Iowa. Her polls had been down since her high point in the fall. She'd been running this kind of interesting unity campaign where I can take people that are kind of more on the Biden side of the Democratic Party and the Sanders side, and I can be the one who brings all those people together. The other people will leave out part of the party. I'll bring, I can, I'm mm-hmm. kind of in the middle enough that I can bring everybody. Yeah. But then, um, and by the way, you will not convince any Bernie Sanders fan on Twitter that this wasn't a plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've looked at the comments on any of these things, but they certainly feel you know, this was this was put out there by the Warren campaign as a way to damage Bernie. Yeah, I mean, and, and perhaps not surprisingly, like the like the the loudest reaction to the debate um, was was actually not directed at Warren. Was directed at CNN for the way that they they handled the issue for you know get, going to Bernie and saying you know did you say this? And when he said no, going to Elizabeth Warren and saying how did you feel when he said that, <laughs> regardless of what he said during the debate. During, yeah, during the debate, right. I understand why this is meaningful to Elizabeth Warren, the person. And and again, if you, if you know, in so much as it's sort of a part of her, her private stump speech, you know, her, her like personal motivation, it makes all the sense in the world. It, it's, it's tempting to think that she didn't, it wasn't interesting, you know, she wasn't interested in making this part of the public debate. Because one, one, I mean, this is part of the public debate is just sort of disheartening. It's just sort of the embodiment of everything that we're caught up with uh, watching these Democratic debates that we're like squabbling over. Again, in the big picture, these are deeply important issues. But the actual thing that's in contention here is not is not it does not reflect the, 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 the deep the deep significance of it. Right. I mean, this is a fairly minor uh, disagreement that we're focusing in on because we're not in the general election yet. And we're trying to find these like these small ways to paint big differences between candidates. But you know what? That that's, that's, that's the ball game folks. That's how this is played. Let's let us remember any it's, primary election ever. And it's true. I saw Ben, I saw Benji Sarlin talking about this on Twitter. He works for NBC and he's saying, by the way, people who think this is ugly, have we forgotten the Republicans four years ago? Yeah, no, for when sure. One candidate was accusing the other candidate's dad of killing JFK. 
<laughs> I mean, like, you know, the, the crazy, the crazy stuff that came out in that primary election. So I don't, I don't know that we're really there, um, all the way, but yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I think, that, I, I mean, go ahead. And sorry. look, I just, I, no, no, it's fine. I just, you're right there. When Bernie Sanders stands up there on stage and says, I am obviously like, I, whatever happened there it is very hard to believe that Bernie Sanders is like a misogynist. It's very hard to believe that Bernie Sanders doesn't support, isn't going to support anybody who becomes a democratic nominee. Isn't going to support Elizabeth Warren. I guess, I guess to me what this story is really interesting is because the whole time it has been obvious that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are fighting for the same turf, right? Famously. And this is one of Sanders's defenses when the story came out Bernie said I he was not going to run in 2016 if Elizabeth Warren did. He was going to take a pass. He just want he was going to say he was going to essentially give her that lane in the Democratic primary. She didn't run and he and he wound up getting in. This time they're both in and clearly no matter what they say in public they are standing in each other's way to some extent of winning the nomination, right? They don't perfectly cross over but they are standing in each other's way. And I, th- I mean, I mean, I guess this is maybe interesting and maybe the opposite of interesting. <laughs> but the, I mean, what, the thing that sort of has captivated my, uh, you know, my thinking throughout this whole thing is actually, I think I, I think I first started thinking about it from a piece that I think it was an Alex Perine piece in The New Republic, where he was talking about uh, trying to make sense of the Bloomberg and Deval Patrick campaigns and how there's sort of all this like backroom, you know, deal making going on uh, with the Democratic establishment. But basically, he was he was saying that like. um uh, trying to try like basically saying with like team Obama, like there's no, there's no actually no personal grievance between Obama and Elizabeth Warren, but their teams detest each other d- deeply. And then, and weirdly Hillary Clinton and, and the, the, the team Clinton has a, is sort of, you know, has no particular feeling towards Elizabeth Warren. So it would be, you know, I mean, it, there's, a, but I guess that what I'm getting at is to see Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders sort of address this directly after the debate on stage, I think kind of underscores the fact that so much of what so much of the disagreement that we're seeing is being driven by campaigns. And you can understand why, even if Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are ideological, ideologically simpatico and personally simpatico, that the people actually like driving these discussions and driving and again, driving this wedge are the people surrounding them, the people working for them. And it makes a certain amount of sense that like, you know, if you're you're fighting for your job, if you know, if you're a campaign staffer and you're so much more you're so much more kind of in the weeds with this whole debate that you would actually end up finding finding grievance and finding enemies in places where, in theory, you should be finding alliances. Well, that's your job, right? To some extent, right? If you're trying to if you're trying to if you're trying to manage Bernie to the Democratic nomination, we saw Faz Shakir come out, who's his campaign manager yesterday and say, this is a lie. I mean, just completely like all in. And by the way, that's when the press's ears perk up because when somebody says this is a lie, somebody is, somebody is lying. And then of course there was that Warren statement later in the day that said, Nope, Nope, it happened. I'm not, we're not, we're not, we're not standing down on this one. Um, but that's your job and your job is kind of to find, to find those differences and blow them up. And, and probably as you point out to do it on behalf of your boss. So at the end of this campaign, whether one of them is president or they're both back in the Senate, they can be friendly with one another. And, you know, it's kind of kind of just, oh, that was part of the campaign. And, you know, that happened. All of this, David, beautifully teed up Warren in the debate last night. 
because no matter who you believe, Bernie is on stage essentially offering a defensive position. Of course, of course, a woman can win. Of course, of course, of course. Where Warren now is just getting this underhand meatball right across the plate that she can stroke out of the park. Let's listen to that. What did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Um, And I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. That was a good line. Yeah, I mean, kudos for her for finding, I mean, just kind of threading that needle or finding, like like you said, uh, hitting it out of the ballpark. It's true. And I think that um, it's, you know, th- there weren't a ton of examples tonight of of strong, I mean, of like direct attacks between the different candidates, uh, at least not new no. ones, you know, and not, not particularly interesting ones. And I th- thought it was interesting that she um, sort of aligned herself with Klobuchar to make that, make this bigger point, which is that obviously that, that you know, women are the ones, uh, you know, winning these contested elections. Um, whatever you think, like you said, of the of the actual content of this dispute, uh, who's right and who's wrong, the thing, Bernie's defense of it was indisputably correct, right? I mean, he supported female candidates. He wanted Warren to run, as you mentioned earlier, four years ago. Um, and so his defense on the merits is really strong. I mean, whether or not he said this thing out loud, I think substantively it doesn't matter a whole lot if you look at his record. Um, but you're right. Elizabeth Warren used the opportunity to sort of deflect a little bit from the dispute and to make a, I think a much more salient point for the path forward. This also, this was not the only thing that happened between the Warren and Sanders campaigns this week. Politico uh, reported via Alex Thompson and Holly Otterbein that there was a Bernie Sanders campaign script uh, that instructed his volunteers to tell voters, I'm quoting from their story, leaning Warren that people who support Warren are highly educated, more affluent people who are going to show up and vote Democratic no matter what, and that, quote, she's bringing no new bases into the Democratic Party. I'll just return to the point I said a second ago. I know someone always stands on the debate stage and says, why, you know, this is what Donald Trump wants us for us to be arguing up here. And people who are sympathetic to Democrats say, why, oh, we're just getting tangled up in these small grievances and, and stuff like that. I totally understand that. That is totally true. This is this is how campaigns are run. This is what it is. And for almost every single politician on the planet, with the perhaps lone exception of Cory Booker, they would rather go to this place than lose the election. You do not want to coast to a to a fourth place finish in Iowa and then say, well, you know, but hey, I was really nice to my fellow Democrats. No, nobody wants to say that. You are, you are going to proverbially leave it on the field. And you know what? When you don't do that, look what happened to Cory Booker. Like, he didn't break through. Nothing happened. Nope. Nobody had knew what he stood for. So I, I just think when, when he left the race, if, if, the, if this whole idea of campaigning via love was ever a thing, and I guess you throw Marion Williamson into that, uh, into that pile too, that, that's done. It, it, it never was in this election, and it never will be. This is just going to be regular, old-fashioned, sharp-elbowed campaigning. 
And this is going to be the beginning, I very safely predict, of three weeks of this. We're yeah, going to see think, a lot more. Yeah, I agree with that. The, 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 the Warren campaign, I think, you know, for all the talk about it's about it, you know, it's fumbling, it's dropping the polls uh, up until this past week. Um, and for all the, 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 for the very good job they've done overall at, at sort of fighting back in any number of different ways, um, I think they needed this. You know, I think they needed and maybe and maybe if they did leak the story, maybe they needed the ra- maybe they needed the public rationale for for going a little bit more on the offensive. But you're right. I mean, what Ber- if that script thing, the Bernie Sanders campaign script is true, which I assume that it is. Um, who cares? I mean, it's it, like the content uh, I mean, this is exactly what campaigns are supposed to do. This is what we expect campaigns to do. And moreover. There's a lot of truth to it, you know. At least you can like understand the truth, how they derive that truth from from you know how they derive that argument from actual truth. That's the argument he makes out loud all the time, just without Elizabeth Warren's name in it. But I'm going to bring more people into the general election than these other candidates will. That's what that's what he always says. That I'm going to fire everybody up and activate more voters than your regular run of the mill Democrat will. Now you just get to say it out loud. Can we talk about the very odd beneficiary? of the Warren Sanders agita. I speak, of course, of Tom Steyer. (laughs) Because during this freighted non-handshake last night, Steyer somehow appears between Warren and Sanders. He's like, if my campaign ain't getting any traction, I'm just going to get in on the memes here. I'm just going (laughs) to appear here and then people could just tweet about me. Suddenly, he becomes this weirdly important figure because he's the only person who heard what Warren and Sanders were saying to each other on the stage. Here's what he said to the New York Times' Reed Epstein about being handshake Zelig. Mr. Sire, you really didn't have a conversation between Senator Warren and Senator Sanders? I was just saying goodnight to the two of them. You guys could see what was. I didn't hear anything. Do you think a president should be more observant to hear a conversation happening right in front of them? I mean, shouldn't the president be able to hear those types of things (laughs) happening three feet away from their face? Great job by Reed Epstein there. I love the comedy questions after the debate. The funny thing about Steyer is he was on the verge of not being on the stage at all. Then he got two last second Fox polls that put him there and showed some pretty surprising results in Nevada. He was tied for third place with 12% in double digits, South Carolina. He was in second place with 15%. I think there's an explanation that I'm stealing from someone whom I can't remember at this, at this precise second, but that those States don't have a ton of Democrats dumping commercials onto the airwaves. Mm-hmm. So Steyer and his money has been kind of, you know, unopposed there other than maybe Biden in South Carolina. Yeah. But again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take his candidacy too, too seriously. I think if you're Steyer and by the way, Mike Bloomberg, you are really hoping for the split decision, right? You want Buddha judge to win Iowa. You want somebody else to win New Hampshire. You want Biden to win South Carolina and you want, somebody else else to win Nevada. And then you essentially want the campaign to start on Super Tuesday where it's sort of wide open and Democrats are all kind of doing the emoji shrug at each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, re- to to go back and reference that Alex Perrine piece that I said earlier, I mean, that his argument for basically for Bloomberg and Deval Patrick was like, it, you know, I will, 
I have I will never say brokered convention out loud as part of my as part of my personal yeah. ethos. Take and the I will, vow. And I will and I and I have made fun of people for saying it before, but the, but honestly, the only way those campaigns make sense is a brokered convention, right? I mean, it's like there's not. I mean, Bloomberg has spent two hundred million dollars and has nothing of of significance to show for it yet. Um, although you're right, I mean, if this, Tom Sire got on stage because of sort of media prevalence and uh, or, or omnipresence, um, then you know maybe there's some validity to the. Uh, you know, to, to spending all that money. Um, I just keep going back to the question that, you know, we asked, somebody else asked the, for the first time, but asked so long ago, which is just like, man, if you just took the $500 million or whatever that Sire and Bloomberg have spent and did anything else with it, wouldn't that have made so much more of an impact? You know, if you had just spent that money doing a, a Showtime documentary about Bernie Sanders, like, you, you know, I mean, you, I feel like, I feel like that would have like, that would have done more to, to, to get to, to have Trump, lose the next election than anything their campaigns are going to functionally do. But who knows? I mean, who? I mean, there's uh, we're all just speaking in hypotheticals here. Uh, these are just like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of hypotheticals right now. I don't know about Showtime documentary. You're right. I was I think that's probably the wrong spot for it. But you get the Netflix documentary. I would have accepted. Yes. Show, that's like kind of putting on the Paramount Network, you know, where you're scrolling through and you go, do I get this? Do I did I pay for <laughs> pay for Showtime? By the way, to, to the pundit wet dream thing, the the broker, the. A Democrat, no Democrat getting more than half of pledged delegates right now is one in seven chance, 15% in the Nate Silver odds, mm-hmm. which is the third most likely scenario. Biden winning, number one, Sanders, number two, no one, number three. Yeah. Slightly ahead of Elizabeth Warren winning. So, you know, again, I agree. Let's let's never say that out loud on this podcast. Let's never be one of those people. Yeah. But could happen. I will could say be, this could be awfully exciting in Milwaukee. I will say this about the billionaires and about their dumping all the money into it. I mean, Bloomberg's commercials have been fantastic. And if they were about literally anybody except Michael Bloomberg, I would probably be, you know, asking to like do segment one on this podcast about it. I mean, he's just, they're just really <laughs> white meat, but like very effective commercials. Tom Steyer, for all, the, you know, for all, I mean, I agree with him on or at least his positions on a lot of a lot of the politics. I mean, you you mentioned Zelig earlier. I don't, I mean, I think some people have mentioned uh, uh, Forrest Gump. You know, to the same to the same end. The way that he gave that closing statement last night, talking about how he's like a he was an athlete, and the American people are his teammates. I mean, it was that was just bad Hollywood script stuff, you know. And it and it I don't think it just underscored how weird, deeply weird his campaign has been, despite everything you know it could have going for it. Yeah, I felt like this weekend I was watching Mike Bloomberg commercials that had f- segments of football games between them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's <laughs> so many. Like my kids can now identify, my kids are very young and they can identify a Mike Bloomberg commercial. That's a thing they can do. That's like just like there's a Star Wars trailer. Yeah, they don't know many things, but they know what a Mike Bloomberg commercial is. They know what Mike Bloomberg's desk looks like. They know what like the the, the lamp on Mike Bloomberg's <laughs> desk looks like. <laughs> they know Mike Bloomberg's not taking any donations. I mean, they know they know everything at this point. I want to talk to you about the other three candidates who were in the debate last night: Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar. But I I kind of grouped them together because none of them particularly stood out to me last night. Joe Biden. God, I I hate to give into Trumpism, but it did feel like a low energy debate for Joe Biden. <laughs> I saw it David really Axelrod. Did. 
right after the debate, David Axelrod was on CNN and he said the same thing and just sort of like, Did he? Uh, the, and the, the, the phrase low energy caught itself in his throat. And it was, <laughs> it was just like <laughs> it, it, in hilar- a hilarious moment. But yeah. Trump has won. Yeah. I mean, in a race where polls are showing and conventional wisdom sh- tells you that the number one thing Democratic voters should and, and, and are looking for is someone who will take the fight to Donald Trump. It is deeply weird <laughs> and confusing that that uh, Joe Biden opts to end every single thing he says in every debate with, oh, well, I guess I'm out of time. <laughs> <laughs> like how like at least show like it, like it's the it's the it's it's not only the easiest way to show a little fire and a little bit of passion in a debate but it's what every literally everybody else in every debate has ever done you just you talk over your time you keep going until you've made your point every single point that joe biden makes is just like oh well all right next you know i mean it's 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 so strange and he <laughs> and he did he he does look he, i mean low energy for sure i kept thinking because we have a much smaller debate, you know, the, 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 there are many fewer people on stage tonight than there have been in previous debates. And one of the questions, the, the sort of meta questions that we keep coming, uh, that we keep thinking about, I don't know if we've even talked about it, is like, who is who is most diminished from this real, from this enormous stage? You know, I mean, okay. it's really easy to, 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 or not easy, but it's, you know, people have, many people have dealt with a hypothetical for about the Republican primary four years ago, right? That if it had been Jeb versus Trump from the start one-on-one, then Trump would have been demolished. Or, you know, that's, that's a theory that some people have. And there's certainly a, a degree to which I think Bernie Sanders, I don't know if he's being, if he's been diminished by the, this process, but he certainly seems less significant than he did four years ago when he was going toe-to-toe with Hillary Clinton, right? Yeah. Well, there were two and, candidates in the race, sure. And it's and it's tempting to make the argument that Joe Biden is being diminished because of his great stature in 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 modern political history uh, by standing by standing on the stage with well maybe not the people who he was on the stage with um, yesterday but but certainly some of the people that have been on stage before but I I can't shake the fact that the only that the the most powerful thing diminishing Biden in this debate is Biden's debate performance like you he just seems it, it's there's just nothing there. Besides his name, uh, that that would like drive me to vote for him. And yet, and yet, can't we say that to some in some weird way that the way he's decided to run this campaign, the the style, the lane he has sort of lumbered down, has been pretty successful. Again, just using that Nate Silver machine, he has a twenty six percent chance of winning in Iowa which is not a state that was particularly seen as being advantageous to Joe Biden. Yeah. I just feel like, I mean, I, I completely agree. There was nothing about that performance. His closing statement was okay, but there was nothing about that performance where you were like, okay, mm-hmm. Joe's back, baby. He's, he's got, he's found his groove. Nothing yeah. at all for two well, hours. I think, I think that you saw that. I think that was to me, the over, the overarching uh, sort of theme of the debate last night is that we had the polls come out right before the debate that basically showed Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Warren all sort of in a four-way tie, right? I mean, the, like the basically whoever wins, it's a- almost the margin of error. You know, it won't be a big surprise. And I feel like almost everybody was just like, be it from those polls or internal polling or whatever, was comfortable where they stood. You know, for Amy Klobuchar, obviously there's going to be there, there's a potential for uh, it significant variance based on her current poll numbers and she the more she the more votes she gets the better but you know i think she can paint a moral victory no matter what comes out of iowa 
and you know whatever Tom Steyer is doing. But you know, the, the Biden didn't seem. I mean, Biden had the opportunity to, I think, shine more than he has in previous debates, just by virtue of being uh, of, of the debate stage being reduced, and 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 he didn't do it. It's it's funny about him because I feel he's almost lulled everybody to sleep. Yeah, literally and figuratively, literally because it, it is not. You watch the debate like I'm not getting anything here, but figuratively because the candidates aren't attacking him enough. You know, I know, I know. We see like you know the Biden. Here's something Biden said about Iraq, or here's something Biden said about you know whatever you know drug offenses back back 20 years ago. We see that on and off on Twitter, but like to me, Joe Biden is still the front runner. And like if you if you try to find a hot take about this election from anybody. It's that Joe Biden's just going to win the nomination. Yeah. He's going to finish in the top two in Iowa. He's set up to win on Super Tuesday, and he's just going to win this thing. Yeah. All of this is going to be for naught, and a whole bunch of campaigns are going to go back and like, why weren't we just focusing all our fire on that guy? As the, again, you know, whether it's a national poll or now even, you know, a couple of Iowa polls as the front runner. Why? Yeah, like, that's what you do, right? You take out the front runner, and then that allows you to try to win. He's being really insulated, I think, by the debate format, too. I mean, you have CNN last night who was they were trying to pick fights, right? I mean, they were trying to to highlight distinctions, but the distinctions are not significant. Uh, I mean, outside of healthcare, which I guess is is significant, although I'm not sure in practice how significant those distinctions are going to be. But, you know, the, the what re, what matters, as I mentioned before, is is electability is going head to head with Trump. And, and also but it's but it's not just this meta question. It's also the really practical question of of. The arguments that Trump's going to make on the campaign and how the Democratic platform, you know, addresses those same questions. Not not it's not a compare and contrast. It's like, how can we go after that same block of voters that Trump surprisingly won in the last election? And I think that I think that Biden, by reputation, sort of has a leg up in that category. Also, I mean, Bernie Sanders as well. But, you know, Biden specific Biden particularly. And I think without. I, I don't know what the I don't know what the move is to try to take him down on that front, but that's the real way. That's that's the way the way to go after him. And as long as the debates are just like, you know, doodling in the margins about you know about issues and on which the the candidates largely agree, uh, Biden Biden is. You're right. I mean, I don't know if he's lulled us to sleep, but he's certainly insulated from a lot of the damage he could he could conceivably take. I hate to sound like generic cable pundit, but this really is a wide open race. It really is. Again, playing with that Nate Silver machine, you know, Biden, I said, well, it was a 26% chance to win Iowa. Bernie Sanders, 25% chance. Buttigieg, 21. Warren, 17. And there's also, by the way, there's this race to win Iowa. And I would I would submit there's this race not to finish last in Iowa. Because among those Elizabeth four. Warren finished, among those four. If Elizabeth Warren finishes last, she's done. I think you can pretty safely say Pete Buttigieg probably needs to win Iowa. You know, even close second might be the only other scenario that gets him through the day. Bernie Sanders finishing last, I think, would be pretty deadly to that campaign as well. Maybe Biden, you know, if if it were a really close result, just again, because his sort of support is a little bit backloaded. But there's a there's a game here, too, where you just don't want to be last because then you're really done. Yeah. And I can imagine all and I can imagine any of the four of them finishing last at this point. I agree. I don't I don't think there I don't think that that any any of any you know order is out of the question. I think it's all it's all up in the air. Um you know, we've talked very little about Mayor Pete on this podcast and I think that it's sort of amazing how 
institutional he's become. How much? I mean, how 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 like? I mean, he had a totally competent, totally compelling debate, and we're all just sort of like, okay, that was he did it again. I mean, he's he is for all that we've talked about him, it should be surprising that he's up there in the polls to the degree that he is, you know, and and uh, and. He just sort of, but he's in a position of being able to, you know, hold serve. I feel like we say, use that phrase too much, but, um, you know, he did fine. Um, Amy Klobuchar, I thought, uh, did really well. Um, though, you know, as the as the debate stage gets smaller and smaller and people keep dropping out, um, you know, her, uh, her rationale for staying in, I guess, uh, you know, gets smaller and smaller. It'd be wild if, like, Elizabeth Warren or anybody else dropped out before her. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's those top candidates. This is, this is, this is the real stuff. And, and even though Biden, like you said, his support is elsewhere and he's not going to drop out his, his success. I mean, his, his good polling numbers so far in Iowa, I think have put him in a position where he does have to do really well there. I mean, that's the sort of the, the stakes for all of them. They've all looked really good the in Iowa at some point. Yeah. The expectations now, have been now, raised. Before it was like, oh, Biden's not going to win Iowa anyway. And now the expectations, oh, maybe he will win Iowa. So, so then if he doesn't, then he somehow failed more than he would have failed like three weeks ago. I think, I think I to- I completely agree with that. I think they all have high expectations. You know, I think Bernie, I think Bernie's comeback. I think if, if, if anything, it's Warren's chances just because, you know, she's been in a little bit of a slump over the last couple months. She's the one now who has the, oh, wow, what a surprise that Elizabeth Warren finished blank. You know, she's, she's got the Bill Clinton in New Hampshire kind of lane here that any kind of decent showing winds up being pretty good for her. I'm really excited about the next three weeks. I'm really excited. I'm also excited to be done with debates because I, I feel, I feel we've mined this format. Let, we're, we're, we're all good with talking about Medicare for all and how to pay for, like we've, I think we've adjudicated that issue in front of the American public. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for more to reveal more secret meetings <laughs> where candidates said something offensive about the other candidate. I, I cannot wait for the days in the not too distant future where instead of discussing debates, we're having long discussions about why Trump is unwilling to have a debate. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> John Delaney knocked on the door of Deval Patrick's apartment <laughs> as they set out to claim their oh my God, respective please, lanes please in 2020. No, no. Oh, he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Steve Allman. We're back Friday. With normal press box, more lukewarm takes about the media. Talk to you then, David. Talk to you later, Brian.